States. The powerful British Navy blockaded the coast, leaving coastal towns from the Penobscot River in Maine to the Chesapeake Bay, vulnerable to hit-and-run raids. Now the papers and commanders could deny it no longer. The British had landed at Benedict, Maryland, and were heading, 4,000 men strong, for the capital of the United States. Even as she was deciding whether she should wait for the president, Dolly was overseeing the preparations for that day's dinner party, supervising the table setting for forty guests, ordering the wines, ale, and cider to be brought from the cellar. This occasion was one of many she had hosted in the past months, designed to reassure government officials and local gentry alike that all was well. By three o'clock, however, she received word of a devastating rout near Bladensburg, Maryland, during which the Americans turned tail and ran so quickly that it would come to be known as the Bladensburg Races. Now, within the sound of the cannon, Dolly lived a lifetime, waiting for her husband to return, but Mr. Madison comes not. May God protect him. She was in an agony of fear that the British would take James prisoner. Urged on by friends, she organized herself and her slaves to leave the house. Dolly's own passage would not be much longer delayed. James Smith, a free black man who had accompanied the president to Bladensburg, came galloping down the street, warning Dolly and the remaining capital residents to flee as the American forces were in retreat. Clearly James would not come now. If Dolly lingered any longer, she risked capture as a political prisoner or death as a casualty of war. It was time to end her missive. And now, dear sister, I must leave this house, or the retreating army will make me a prisoner in it by filling up the road I am directed to take. When I shall again write you, or where I shall be tomorrow, I cannot tell. That day, the British did indeed invade Washington City. They looted and burned only the public buildings, taking particular relish in consigning the President's Palace to the flames. Before they did so, however, they sat down and enjoyed the elegant meal that had been set out. Given the effort Dolly Madison had put into establishing her White House as the capital's social and political center, it seems fitting that a dinner party occupied the last moments of the executive mansion. This is how most Americans know Dolly Madison, as the heroine who saved the portrait of George Washington. In fact, next to the tale of Fort McHenry and the writing of the Star-Spangled Banner, the story of Dolly and the White House is the only one Americans typically associate with the ill-fated War of 1812. To be sure, very few have the story right. For instance, many believe Dolly saved the Declaration of Independence. This is not true, though she probably did save the notes from the Constitutional Convention, among other crucial documents. One version of the legend holds that Dolly herself cut the portrait out of its frame with a butcher knife. Some later illustrations even depict Dolly fleeing the burning White House, the canvas flapping behind her as she runs through the street. The truth is more sobering, more complicated, and more interesting. Black hands tried to unscrew the picture, and when that failed, enslaved Americans wrestled the father of liberty out of the frame. It was not even a particularly valuable portrait, a copy of the famous Gilbert Stuart painting. But this event is remembered as pivotal for precisely the reason that Dolly intended. She knew the picture was only a copy, 
Nonetheless, she insisted, save that picture. Save that picture if possible. If not possible, destroy it. She recognized that it would have been wrong for any image of the venerated Washington to fall into British hands, to be burned with the house, or even worse, to be paraded through London streets as a prize of war. Dolly understood how fragile the country's sense of identity was. Even her famous letter to her sister stands as testament to her political savvy. Producing the document decades later, she may well have edited or sharpened the text to present a more overtly patriotic account. However, Dolly Madison's fame is not restricted to this single incident, nor to the packaged pastries and ice cream that bear her misspelled name and did not take hold years after her death. In an age before the cult of celebrity, when people nonetheless lionized the living, Dolly Madison was famous. During her tenure as the president's wife, and for decades after, she was one of the most well-known people in the United States. After her husband's death in 1836, when she returned to Washington as a private citizen, government officials lined up to pay homage. The House of Representatives granted her free lifetime postal franking, a perquisite congressmen received during their terms, and a privilege previously granted only to former presidents and the widow of the revered Washington. They also presented her with her own seat on the floor of the House of Representatives, along with appointed escorts, an unprecedented honor for a man, let alone a woman. And when she died in 1849 at age 81, Washington City honored her with a state funeral, the largest one the capital had yet seen. Along with President Zachary Taylor and his cabinet, both houses of Congress adjourned to march in the procession, escorting for one last time the woman who had come to be known as America's Queen. Why was Dolly Madison so famous? In a culture that had no place for a woman in the political spotlight, and the only public women were prostitutes, Dolly was undeniably a public woman. She became a national figure when the United States was barely a nation, and only men such as George Washington occupied a place in the pantheon above party politics. And, most inexplicable of all, Dolly proved herself a powerful political player in an age when women were excluded from politics. Dolly Payne Todd Madison was famous for precisely the same reason as her male counterparts, power. She possessed considerable political capital, which under the veil of her culturally appointed roles of wife and hostess, she used to further her own and her family's political aims. Paradoxically, while her sex prevented her from openly playing politics, it was those very bonds of womanhood that allowed her the scope in which she accomplished her greatest political successes. Granting political favors, constructing a modern ruling style that emphasized cooperation over coercion, and achieving her husband's political aims. Within the conventional bounds of ladyhood, Dolly legitimized her husband's administration to the nation and the world and went a long way to establishing Washington City as a capital city and retaining it as the federal capital after the British burned it in 1814. Using parties, social calls, and correspondence, she built the structures of government that the new United States needed and she presented political models of bipartisan cooperation, building bridges instead of bunkers that would prove to be crucial to democratic rule. Perhaps most important, 
She used the persona of a lady motivated solely by feminine love and patriotism to create a sense of nationality and unity for the new Americans. In spite of a disastrous war and domestic unrest, her husband's presidency was universally acclaimed. After the smoke cleared in 1817, former President John Adams noted that, notwithstanding a thousand faults and blunders, James Madison's administration has acquired more glory and established more union than all his three predecessors put together. Other political observers, no doubt giddy with relief, concurred. Their judgment reflected the triumph of Dolly's efforts as much as, perhaps even more than, her husband's. It was no accident that Americans seized upon the image of the heroic Dolly, saving the George Washington portrait, as their predominant memory of the first invasion of American soil. August 1814 was a fragile moment in the country's history. In the 1780s, the former colonists, flush with their victory over what was then the world's greatest superpower and the acquisition of a brand new constitution, had watched with dismay as vicious partisan bickering threatened the untried political system, reaching its peak, or depth, with the first real presidential contest, the election of 1796. In the wake of a campaign filled with gossip, slander, backroom tampering, and accusations of treachery all around, John Adams won narrowly, and the nation remained polarized. From the new American's point of view, it boded badly that the infighting disintegrated into the establishment of two proto-parties, the Federalists, represented by John Adams, and the Republicans, led by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. The Republicans had their revenge, however, when John Adams proved a one-term president, and the election that Jefferson...